I want to talk to you about uh, being empowered by His presence. And one of the one of the most bizarre stories in the Bible is our backdrop for this particular lesson. So turn with me in your Bibles to the the book of Judges. Book of Judges. Have you read Judges lately? Man, that's a bizarre book. That's like every chapter is R-rated. It's 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 just it's just amazing to me what what the Lord did through His people in in the in the book of Judges. But this is a real fascinating story. Our last lesson was on the lie of insignificance, and, and interestingly, this story with Gideon starts with God's confrontation of the lie of insignificance. He shows up and he calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. Now, I, I know probably most all of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the story, but let, let's go through it for just a moment so that when we get to our key verse, it has a context. Israel has been, uh, they've just been beaten down. They've been subservient for a long time. Whenever they start to get a little bit of progress, the enemy nations, the Midianites, the Ammonites, they will, they will beat them down again. They will come in, if they plant crops, as soon as they start to get to where they're harvestable, the Midianites raid the crops, and so Israel's just hurting, and they're, they've been hurting bad for a long time. And uh, any, they're, they're just, they're demoralized. And um, the Lord had warned them, interestingly, uh, earlier in this, uh, in this chapter, in verse 10, he said, I, I am the Lord God. He says, I said to you, I am the Lord God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed me. This is interesting. I said to you, do not fear the gods of the Amorites. You didn't obey me. Look at the progression of thought here. God says, don't fear the enemy. You didn't obey. How do I know you didn't obey? Because you're worshiping the gods of the enemy. Now think about this. What you fear infects what you worship. What happens to a person who fears going broke? They hold on to money tightly. What did Jesus say? He says, you will love the one and hate the other, or you will hold to the one and despise the other. Do you remember this? Do you remember this statement? It's about our relationship with God and finances. He says, you will love the one, hate the other. You'll hate, you'll hate the system that works apart from God in economy in our life. You'll hate that, you'll love God, or you will hold to the one. So fear actually infects our life to the point it influences what we worship. So how did this work out for Israel? They would, God says, don't fear the gods of the Amorites. So what did they do? They started fearing the gods of the Amorites. How do we know that? Because they would end up serving the false gods. So the Lord comes along and he appears to Gideon. Now we know they were involved in false worship because in the very next chapter or later in this chapter, we see Gideon destroying one of the gods that was in his own dad's backyard. So we know they were serving idols. So what does the Lord do? He hears the cry of people that need freedom. He shows up and he comes to this guy named Gideon. Gideon is, is hiding. He's hiding in a is it a wine press? He's, uh, in verse 11, it says, uh, um, the angel of the Lord came, sat under the terebinth tree. Um, his son Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Threshed wheat in a wine press. Wheat, bread of the word, in a wine press, new wine. You can't get the bread of the word out of new wine. 
When the Holy Spirit is moving in a new wine fashion, that's not where you're going to get the revelation of the bread of the word. When he's moving in the wheat fashion, don't try to force the new wine issue. I don't know if that makes sense to you. I'm, I'm, I'm crossing, the, crossing lines and metaphors there. But here he's hiding because he's afraid of the Midianites plundering their food again. And the Lord shows up and says what? He says, uh, mighty man of valor, angel of the Lord appears to him. The Lord is with you, verse 12, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which which our fathers told us about? Now, I don't know if this seems funny to you. To to me, this is hilarious. If an angel shows up to you, are you going to have a rebuttal? I mean, how do you have an angel showing up (laughs) and says, you mighty man of valor? You go, oh, yeah? Then where are all the miracles our fathers told us about? It's like he had a chip on his shoulder and the angel went and knocked it off. It's like, oh yeah? If I'm such a mighty man of valor, if this is such a divine moment, then where are all the miracles our fathers told us about? And how come we're in such trouble? It's like, guess what, guess what Gideon was thinking about before the angel showed up? He calls him a mighty man of valor, and yet he was hiding for fear. I love these stories, and the Lord will do this to everybody in this room. Don't be foolish and ignore it. He called Peter a rock when he lived like a broken reed. He called Gideon a mighty man of valor when he was hiding for fear. And the Lord has a name for you that is opposite to your biggest weakness. And he calls you by name to call you out of what has crippled you. I experimented with this years ago. I was in a Goodness, I was in a Sunday school class of a whole bunch of rowdy junior high boys. If you can imagine sitting in a room that was 12 foot by 14 with 19 junior high boys and me. So there's like 20 of us in there. That's a suicide mission right there. We had them all around the room across. I mean, it was just crammed in there. And, you know, these guys have more energy than should be legal. And they're cooped up in a small room with me, which is right there, a life sentence, you know, <laughs> poor guys. And I'm trying to teach them how to love God and serve God and be spiritual. And, 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 and they tried, but they were climbing the walls and they were climbing each other. And, and week after week, I would, I would, would you guys knock it off? Would you stop? What's the matter? Get serious about it. You know, I'm, I'm doing that whole thing, which isn't working at all. I, I spent some time with some friends down in Chico and, and they had shared with me about this concept of calling Gideon a mighty man of valor in their setting, the ministry they had. I went in the next Sunday, but first I, had to, I couldn't try it as a gimmick. I had to see it in my heart. I want you to see that. You've got to see it the way God sees it. So I took some time to pray, and I began to see these young men as young men with a whole bunch of energy, but really quality kids. And I caught a vision of that in my heart. I went in, I sat in that room. And I said, uh, I said, you guys are, are really great men of God. As soon as I did, they all turned around and sat quietly in their seats. <laughs> they wanted to hear more. I had to hurry and come up with more. You know? <laughs> but I did. I just began to talk to them about their destiny, about their purpose. You know that every person really wants to know what God thinks. They really do. Every person, even those who don't believe in Him, They know he's there. They just need to know he's a father. A father who 
believes and how he's made them. This bizarre story of Gideon gets more and more bizarre, but there's one verse that I want you to look at with me that is uh, the only place in the Bible uh, where I've been able to find this particular concept. It's in chapter 6, and it's verse 34. Gideon has had this encounter with the angel who, who appeared to him, spoke to him. He received a sacrifice. There was this commissioning to destroy the altar of Baal in verse 25. His dad defends him in verse 31. And now we have verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord, God, excuse me, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Bezerites gathered behind him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Say that with me. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Say it again. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. I absolutely love that phrase, and I, I hope that in your, own, um, in your own study of Scripture, you'll, you'll mark those things in your mind. Because anytime God says, I will be with you, I mean, you remember that phrase in Scripture. Anytime he says, I will be with you, it is because he just gave them an impossible assignment. It was never just a, oh, by the way, you and I will hang out. You know, it was, it was, it was never that. It was, it was always that um, I got good news and I got bad news. Here's what's impossible that's your job. And by the way, I'll be with you. And so here the Lord is upon Gideon. You'll see this, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon the prophets. How many remember Jesus in Luke 4 when he announced, he quoted Isaiah 61, he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he goes on through this assignment of recovery, sight to the blind and all these things. So here's this profound statement, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. But the little study notes in this uh, Spirit-filled life Bible that I have they actually found something in the original language that doesn't appear in this phrase. It actually doesn't say the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. What it actually says is the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Think about that one for a moment. That, I, don't, I don't know what that does to you. That just kind of wrecks me. The Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Is that not a clearer picture of what it means when the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and has made our body his temple? Is this not an Old Testament picture of something that would be realized potentially in the life of every New Testament believer? This is it right here. The Spirit of the Lord, let me put it in our language, the Spirit of the Lord put Gideon on like a glove. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> to be put on like a glove. To be put on like a glove. Where every thought of the Spirit of God becomes my thought. Everything that he sees that's in the heart of the Father that I would see. Does it make sense to you that the Lord doesn't want you to be just a lifeless vessel that he flows through? I, I used to pray... Um, Lord, all I want to be is a funnel. I just want to be a funnel that you pour through. Just whatever you, you give me just flows out. And, and I don't know, I suppose there's some biblical merit to that. But I, 
I don't like it anymore. I, I, I used to pray it all the time. God, just flow. I don't want to mess up anything you're doing. I don't want to contaminate. And that's still my prayer. I mean, none of us want to be stupid and foul up anything that God is doing. But think about this. The same gospel flowed into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If they were just funnels that he flowed through, all four gospels would be the same. But Luke's gospel, who is a physician, is written a bit different than John's gospel, who is really a Christian mystic. The uniqueness of each gospel, what does it do? It carries the experience. It carries the personality. It carries the uniqueness of every individual. So the question remains, is it possible for your personality to be merged with the gospel in such a way that it never contaminates, it only illustrates? Does that make sense? It doesn't contaminate. What we don't want is to contaminate the message. We don't want, you know, we've all seen it. We've probably all done it where our own personality, our own weaknesses and stuff just get in and really mess up the message. You know, there's some people, their lives are so compromised. They live in such compromise and yet the Lord still honors his word through their mouth. And so miracles and things happen, but their personal lives are a wreck. People wonder, well, why does God do that? He honors his word. He honors his word, regardless of where it comes from. He honors his word. So when the word is declared, he honors the word because the word is held in absolute highest esteem. So we've seen the cases where the personality or the the weaknesses of an individual just take away and defile the message. None of us want that. But for me, I, I have the question, is it possible then for the uniqueness of every person, the unique gifting, the unique personality, the unique calling, everything that God has made you to be, is it possible for that to add a flavor to the gospel message that complements and doesn't contaminate? The answer is yes. I gave you a chance. No, I really do. I really believe that the Lord is looking. You know, I, I don't like, I, I don't like, I don't celebrate, you know, my giftings, I don't, those things don't, you know, they don't excite me. He excites me. He excites me. But what I've found is that my excitement in Him affects who I am. And it's legal for that to be unveiled to impact people around me. And I feel like there's a uniqueness of every individual life in here where there's, I don't mean the, I mean the stuff that went wrong. I don't mean the the reactions that we have in our life to things of the past. I'm talking about the simple, pure person that God has made you to be. He's not ashamed of that. He's not ashamed of that. I was reading this last week out of Hebrews 11 for Abraham. Abraham went through such a refinement. I mean, he remained Abraham. God didn't wipe him out and then, uh, you know, and, and then demonstrate himself through this lifeless body. He, he preserved the uniqueness of Abraham. And he makes this statement in Hebrews 11. He says, and God was not ashamed to be called his God. What does that mean? God was not ashamed to be called his God. God lives inside of every one of you. But for some who in the secret place develop unique friendship, trust, explore the adventure of walking with God, he doesn't mind showing himself outside of you that he's connected. Moses has given this impossible assignment to get Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses is overwhelmed with the task and he says, who am I? 
And God says, I'll be with you. That was his answer. <laughs> if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, all right, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> my question was, who am I? God says, I'll be with you. And I thought for years, I thought the Lord was just kind of ignoring his question and saying, listen, it's not important who you are. What's important is that I'm going to be with you. And I'm sure there's an element of truth to that. But, but I like to think of it this way. Who am I? When God says, I'm going to be with you, he's saying, Moses, you're the guy I like to be with. I'm not ashamed for anyone to know you and me. I'm with you. In fact, he said in scripture, he says, I talk to all my prophets in a certain way, but Moses, I talk face to face. And it's like the Lord is saying, don't worry, Moses, who you are. I'm going to display myself upon you. I'm going to work wonders around you. Everyone will know you belong to me, and I'm not ashamed to be called your God. Boy, how about that as having, having that as an ambition for every one of our lives that that would be, I, I don't want to even imply that God is ashamed of you or ashamed to be called our God. I, I don't think we should reverse it into the negative, but I do think, how about we make it an ambition where God just, just can't help himself. He just wants to display himself all around us because he's just so thrilled to be called our God. So Father, we pray that. We pray that right now. We pray that this whole privilege of hosting your presence, this whole privilege of you putting us on like a glove so uniquely, so powerfully. I pray right now that you would open up to us in the kind of the secret place, the secret place of the heart. You'd open up for us what it is for you to not be ashamed to call us your children, for us to call you our God, that you'd be known as our God. I pray that. I pray for everybody in this room, everyone who, who receives these lessons, that there would be such impact that you would manifest upon us and around us for the honor of the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's our prayer too, isn't it? Okay, so uh, the series is called Hosting the Presence of God, just for a little bit of a review. And uh, <clears throat> The first session that we covered was your authority to release God's presence. The second session was your significance in his presence. And that was empowered by his presence. Let me go over. Uh, I know it's kind of hard to take notes in the dark, but uh, <clears throat> I took some notes today. And I just want to point out a couple of things I feel like really stands out on the things that Bill Johnson said was one of them was fear infects our lives and influences what we worship. The, and then new wine won't bring the bread of the word. And don't try to get new wine when he is moving in the bread of the word. Uh, the, the Lord, you know, we were a, we always said we're a word church. For years we said we're a word church. And, um, we had this, we, we, uh, we found that we could not get where we wanted to go. And God had to change our paradigm from word of life to river church. Because he wanted us not to give up the word, but what he, Bill said, don't try to get a move of the spirit when, he, when you're moving in the bread of the word. 
If you have just a teaching and you're just teaching and that's all you're focused on is teaching, then you're going to wonder why you don't get much, you know, people are not going to be dancing in the aisles and, you know, they're going to be learning and we're going to be, ha and, we, and boy, we wouldn't trade anything for the strong foundation that we have. Because I tell you what, men pastors see it all the time. People who are filled with the Spirit, they love the move of the Spirit, they want to preach pray and prophesy but they don't have that strength that comes from sitting under the word for years and years and years and literally for us it's been it was from 1980 till and then but we began to have this overwhelming hunger god we gotta have a move of the spirit well god had to change us all of us how we saw ourselves and so now instead of seeing us just as ourselves just as boy i am a word person we used to sing a song is uh um something about the word is all i need i don't need nothing else but the word do y'all remember that song i can't even remember what it was by now but hallelujah but the word is enough. Hallelujah. But the word isn't enough. That song really wasn't true. We got to have the, if the Holy Ghost doesn't come on the word. Hallelujah. So God changed our paradigm. He changed our name. He had, he wants us to see ourselves as a river. Hallelujah. He wants us to see ourselves, you know, flowing out into this community. And, and you know, it's working. It's working. Our paradigm's changing. Amen. And we are different than we were. I don't even feel like the same person that left uh, 14585 Highway 82 West in Coker, Alabama. I'm not even the same as I was over there. Hallelujah. Um <clears throat> So new wine won't bring the bread of the word. And that's true. You can have, I've seen churches where the whole focus was, you know, if you're just running the aisles all the time, that's all you ever do in praising God. And we love to praise God. But that's all that happens. It's a constant just Holy Ghost. You're going to have some people that are kind of weak. Because you got to have the word also. So we're trying, we're fighting for that balance. Hallelujah. God's name is for you is opposite God's name for you is opposite of your biggest weakness so you ought to think about yourself and I'll think about myself we ought to think about ourselves and say I wonder what because you know your weakness better than anybody maybe I, maybe not but uh, you know God's name for you is opposite of that hallelujah every person really wants to know what God thinks so that's an opportunity for us as we go out into Tuscaloosa County. You think they really want to hear what God thinks of them. That would be a good opening thing. You know, the, God, you know, the Lord told me he thinks you're beautiful. The Lord told me he thinks, he thinks you are, you've been faithful. He's proud of you or something, something, whatever God tells you. Uh, one thing he said is you can't just fake this stuff. And that is really true. What did he, what was that word he used? Uh, do y'all remember? I really like that. It has to be genuine. In other words, so you have to look in your heart and find it. You can't just say, I think I'll try that. You know, okay, Pastor Billings, you know, some other church in town can't just say, well, Pastor Billings got a, his building paid off, <laughs> you know, and they said they did this or they said they did that. And I think I'll try it. That's not how it works. It's got to be in the heart, doesn't it? It's got to be a heart move. Uh, anytime God says, I will be with you, it's because he just gave you an impossible assignment. Hello. 
Well, I remember now when I remembered this today, when we left, when we were praying about whether we should leave the church in Coker and move to this side of town, rent this building, which is totally crazy in in the natural. I mean, you've got a building over there that looks kind of like a church to mean you're going to move to one that doesn't look like a church at all. And, <laughs> and, and, and um, so it looks crazy. But I remember the Lord, pastor's praying, and he said, well, the Lord told me that he would be Jehovah Jireh. We could go ahead. I'll be Jehovah Jireh. Right then, we should have known. We should have known, but we didn't, that it was going to be like three years of financial, you know, hallelujah, impossibility. Hallelujah. Thank God he's met the impossibility. When we've had other miracles this month, we were telling Garland right before the church was paid off, uh, we just got a check in the mail from somebody in the state of Alabama, but not not in Tuscaloosa, $500 to the church. Uh, this week, um, some people in Texas called and uh, said, well, uh, my mom got an oil check and she said she's just going to send it to y'all. It's $500. And so, hallelujah. Yeah, normally this oil check is less than 100 And uh, for some reason, she got a $500 one. She doesn't really know why. But anyway, she's sending it to River Church. So praise God. Hallelujah. The river's flowing. Um, the personality and weakness of the messenger can defile the message or take away from it. We don't want that to happen. Okay, so we're going to cover two points tonight because there's five points that uh, in the workbook that follows every video. And the first point tonight is uh, we are empowered to release greater glory. We are empowered to release greater glory. And we want you to turn to Haggai. If I can find it, somebody may have to come up here and find it for me. Hallelujah. Where in the world is Haggai? I know I've been there before one time. Zephaniah Haggai, if that helps. <laughs> Haggai 2 and verse 9. I really like this scripture. <clears throat> it says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter house, of this latter house, shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. So, um, <clears throat> in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant of prophets gave us a preview of what is available to us as believers today. And he pointed out that Gideon gave us a preview. Uh, and, uh, there's, and many others we could name. And... Um, <clears throat> Most people consider that the Old Testament prophets, their encounters with God were benchmarks for spiritual experience. In other words, wow, if we could just do what Moses did, or wow, if I could just be like Abraham, or wow, you know, if I could just be like uh, David and be like a, you know, or, or whoever. Uh, <clears throat> the prophets of the Old Testament were feared, they were respected, Kings and rulers consulted them. Nations rose and fell because of their decrees. 
and they seem to be separate. They seem to be a different than the average person, and indeed they really were. And it is really great for us to still honor the old prophets. I believe that's a, a good thing to do, that we have honor for uh, Moses and Abraham. And, can't, you know, that's going to be fun in heaven, isn't it, to meet, hallelujah, uh, these old covenant prophets. Uh, and it's okay for us to honor them as long as we don't put them in a class that we can never live up to. Or that we could never be. And we've talked about this before, but the Jesus said, He said uh, that John the Baptist was great, the greatest of all the prophets, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, and that that the least person in the kingdom of God was greater than John the Baptist. So uh, everything that rested upon these Old Testament prophets abides in us. Everything that rested upon them abides in us. Everything that rested upon them abides in us. Can I borrow Andrew's little coat? That's not a, that's not a very sufficient. I was going to do this and I forgot it. But you can just stand up here and be my demonstration. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, it came upon them. It came upon them. It just rested on them for certain jobs for specific things that had to be accomplished. The Holy Ghost would come upon them. But this right here that just came upon them abides on the inside of us. Hallelujah. You carry it around every day. All the time. All the time you carry it around. We have just not known how to get it going, how to get it activated. First of all, we probably didn't know that for a long time during our Christian walk. Uh, the Holy Spirit could not make His home inside these Old Testament prophets. Instead, He rested upon them just in certain seasons, just for specific jobs that God wanted done. In, let's turn to Luke 5. And Jesus explains this in a parable. In Luke 5, 37. And also in Mark, he, it, this is also found in Mark. Jesus spoke a parable to them. And he said, well, let's start in 36. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. New wine is always put into new bottles. Speaking of the Holy Spirit here, we know new wine or wine in the Bible usually refers to the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, I couldn't put the wine of the Holy Spirit into the old bottles in the old covenant. People in the old covenant, their spirits weren't recreated. Their spirits were dead. They were dead. They were they they they, they loved God with their mind, their will, and their emotions, but they, this was dead. It was they had fallen spirits because Adam had sinned and fallen, and the new birth had not yet come. Jesus had not went to the cross and paid for it. And so uh, 
The Holy Spirit could not live inside of them. So he simply came upon them. So for us to wish to be like Abraham or to be like Moses, and there might be certain traits of their character that we can say, man, that's awesome. I want to, you know, I want to be like that. But to to want to be like that is, is to not to realize that you have the Holy Ghost. You've got Jesus uh, living on the inside of you. And he talked about Jesus. Uh, God put Gideon on like a glove. In other words, God, that, and that was a picture of what happened in the new birth. Reminded me of Pastor Buzzy's sermon that Jesus with skin on. You are Jesus with skin on. Hallelujah. Say, I am Jesus with skin on. Oh, that made the religious devils mad right there. I could just think. <laughs> they just squealed all over Tuscaloosa. I'm talking about the devils, not people. <laughs> hallelujah. Now, if, you manif- if it manifests, well, hallelujah. Many p- believers today live under old covenant, and they don't even know it. But we need to know what we have, uh, and we are hosts of the Holy Spirit. And our job is to release the Holy Spirit. Now, God, Jesus showed us this in Scripture, too. In John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And let's, uh, 7, verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria, John chapter, y'all there, 4, 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For he's setting her up. Uh, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samarians, not to mention that she's a woman. I mean, there's, you know, but she's, Jews don't like Samarians. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee uh, living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep from whence thou hast done, draw, hast thou the living water. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay, here is... Uh, the Jesus dwelling on the inside of you. He said, I'm going to give you living water. It's going to be on the inside of you. This scripture is the Holy Spirit inside of you for you. For you. For everlasting life. So that you never thirst again. This is for you. If we go over to John 7, 38. Let's start in verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of this earth. 
of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, in verse in John 4.10, the woman, I'm going to give you living water that you'll never thirst, and it's going to be unto you unto everlasting life. But in John 7.38, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost, and out of you is going to flow a river of living water. That's not for you. That's for them, the people out there. That's for that's for everybody but you. You're supposed to be flowing out a river of living water all the time. We all are. Hallelujah. And I think that a lot of times only the reason we haven't is because we didn't know we were supposed to. We didn't know it. We didn't, we didn't, we, we, I mean, you know, we're all just getting more revelation on this. I guess what I'm saying. Old covenant prophets handle the anointing better than we do sometimes. Even though they didn't have what we have, it, the anointing came and went on them. You got it all day, every day, all night, every night. It's the anointing that abides. John, First John says it's the anointing that abides. It, it, Jesus said, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. It'll never go away. Hallelujah. He put it in you, then he sealed you. Hallelujah. So it's in your spirit. Your soul may act horrible, but it's in your spirit. Hallelujah. And it's our job, though, to get control of our soul. It's our job to get control of our flesh. Hallelujah. It's our job to take the spirit of God. Don't tell me we can't do it because we can if we've got God inside of us. Hallelujah. And so... Um, um, but they, they handled the anointing better than we did. When the Spirit came upon them, they moved. They spoke. They obeyed. They pursued. They performed the miraculous. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. Hallelujah. So we just need to get moving. Just get moving. Get into action. Start taking a risk. Hallelujah. Start, you know, you, well, you look like you wouldn't receive it. What difference does that make? You know, sometimes the people that look the worst out there, uh, that's, they just look bad. I, I've looked at people before and kind of recognized this, and I just say, Pastor, they're in pain. You can see the pain. They have physical pain. You can see it in their eyes. Some people, they're all, you know, you get in pain, you'll just draw up and you know you may look mean but hallelujah you just so it don't matter what they look like hallelujah we're to flow we're to flow everywhere we go how and just get bolder and bolder and bolder um, the old covenant prophets were in the days of the former house that we read in Haggai and you and I are in the age of the latter house in fact we are the latter house we're the latter house full of glory amen Oh, Lord, isn't that good? We must not waste the presence of God, but steward it. I remember, uh, and that's important in our services, too. Now, that's that we can say that, okay, I got the presence of God inside of me. I must not waste it. I must steward this. When I go out, I must, I must be watching for what I'm supposed to do. I must be listening for what I'm supposed to say, what, who I'm supposed to approach. I'm, I've got to be led by the Spirit all the time. Obviously, you can't go into Walmart and pray for everybody. Because you would never come out. Because people are coming in all the time. You would just live at Walmart. You could bathe in the sink in the bathroom. 
You could eat the, you could, when they close, they don't close. Oh, I started to say you could eat crackers when they close. Uh, no, but you would never get to come out because there's a steady stream of people. And so that's not, but you have to be led. And you, so you're led by the Spirit. You're watching, you're listening. But don't say, well, God didn't say anything. You know, if God did, uh, Smith Wigglesworth said, if the Holy Ghost don't say something, I just make something happen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's the attitude we're to have. Uh, but so we must not waste the presence of God. But in our services, let's talk about not wasting the presence of God. So we're singing, we're worshiping, and the presence of God comes in. It's not just so we can kind of stand there and glow and all, all start singing kumbaya. Something's supposed to start happening when the presence of God comes in. So we need to be responders. I like to call us first responders. Who in here is going to be the first responder? Hallelujah. In other words, if you think of something, well, you know, I ought to go up and touch the wall. Well, bless God, you ought to go up and touch the wall. Or if somebody leads out, let's just say, you know, Madison, she just, we're praising and all, and the Holy Ghost is here and she just goes up there and touches the wall. We're supposed to be good followers, not just like, well, isn't that nice that Madison is having an experience with God today? No, God's trying to get a river to flow here, folks. Rivers flow. They don't just spurt every once in a while like a water fountain, you know. And if you're not careful, we'll have little spurts every once in a while. But we want to flow. Hallelujah. If you don't, if the Holy Ghost, if, I'm not, I don't mean this in any derogatory way, but if we let the, there should be services where pastor doesn't get to preach. Not that we don't love it and we want the word. But there should be times with the Holy Ghost, just we just get out there so far we can't get back. Hallelujah. We just, we just can't, you know, I just couldn't get the service back, Pastor would say. I wanted to, I wanted, but I couldn't get it back because it just kept flowing. Okay, uh, number two, empowered. Uh, we are empowered by people of presence. 1 Samuel 10, 6. We are empowered... Uh, and we should expect to be empowered by people of presence. First Samuel. We're just going to cover two tonight. And then we'll pick the other two up next week. Unless the Holy Ghost, unless the river's flowing so hard I just can't get in there. And First <clears throat> Samuel 10, 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. He's talking to Saul here. Paul is, God's talking to Saul. Now, God never wanted Israel to have a king. Israel demanded a king, cried out, and I know we want a king. We want to be like other people. That's what they said. God wanted to be their king. And they said, no, we've got to have a king. And so uh, God picked the best he could. One reason God might not have wanted him to have a king is he didn't really have anybody that was that qualified. So he picked Saul, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, this is what he told Saul, and thou shalt prophesy unto them, and shalt be turned into another man. And he told him where to go, and when to be there, and he sent him down to where the prophets were. And when Saul got to where the prophets were at, uh, the prophets were doing what prophets do. They were prophesying. And when he came, when Saul got under the atmosphere of where the prophets were, he was changed into another man, and Saul began to prophesy. You know, and you've read the story. So, um, 
God said, said this to King Saul to set him up for an experience in the presence of God. Saul had a divine encounter and it changed him into another man. Uh, hallelujah. If we get in the atmosphere where God is moving, uh, what is on what that what is in that atmosphere will get on us now this can be a danger and it can be you know and it can be a blessing also there uh you know you don't want to be so much in the atmosphere of the world that you begin to have worldly attitudes and that can happen you don't want to be so much you know there's there's things that aren't right in tuscaloosa although we love tuscaloosa and and I know you love it, and and we wouldn't leave. I mean, we'd beg God if He said to us to leave. We'd beg Him, please, no God, please. We love Tuscaloosa, but the, the but the spiritual atmosphere is not that great here. And how do you know? How do I know? Just look around the room. Pride, not teachable. Uh, too too great of a spirit of competition here. Uh, I could just things that the Lord's shown me uh, even when the yeah, how many of you read the book The Harbinger one two three how many of you listen to anything on The Harbingers well I'm inviting you to my house Monday night anybody wants to come we're going to show The Harbinger video at our house uh, it's one hour long and you know just if you want to come if you don't don't but you need to know about this is you need to know about this this is too detailed to skip to not know these things so if you if you don't if you can't come to our house at least listen to something there it's all over youtube jonathan Kahn, get the book read the book uh, but uh, there's nine harbingers and uh so he goes through these and one of the harbingers, I'll just give this clue, was um, in um, Isaiah 9 and verse 10. And when, uh, when, when, this, when this harbinger, this warning, this warning came to America, 9-11 was a warning. And the, when, the, when the warning came to America, America was defiant. America was defiant. And I'm not talking about me and you. We weren't defiant, but I'm talking about America for the most part were, were defiant. And one of the things they did is what Isaiah 9, 10 did, what, the, what Israel did is they said they didn't turn to God. America has not turned to God. They've continued on on a pathway of sin and, and, and everything. And so, um, uh, and they said, we will rebuild now, you're going to think this is strange because I've been listening to this for a while. I read the book two years ago. I've been, you know, it's been in my thinking somewhat, but here lately with September uh, and, all, and a lot of the things that are happening in September, the blood moons, the Shemitah year, the Jews said that today, today, because last night ended the Jewish New Year, and today what they say, according to their Jewish calendar, is... The sixth yesterday was the six thousandth day since Adam, and that we are entered into the messianic reign. They are expecting their Messiah to come. They say we're in the time our Messiah is coming, and He is. 
He is their right. Hallelujah. <laughs> He's coming to them for the first time. He's coming to us for the second time. Hallelujah. He is coming. But it is just phenomenally amazing. I wrote down in my book all the things that are happening in September, and it's just amazing. But there is such defiance against God in this nation that it's just uh, Madonna's going to have a concert at Madison Square Garden, and she's the epitome, epitome of Satanism. Um, and, uh, and her concert, her new concert is named uh, Degradation of the Bride and uh, degradation of the bride and the fallen angels. And like four days after she, Madonna, you know, Madonna, kind of the false virgin type thing. Four days later, the Pope's coming to Madison Square Garden and they kind of worship. <laughs> I mean, this is just, it is so amazing in the time frames. It, you just, it, you know, only God could put put things. I'm not saying he put that together, but only God could, the, to where the timeline lines up. So you need to know this. I want you to be informed. We need to be an informed church. And um, so anyway, um, <laughs> uh, where, now where am I? I am telling you about, okay, so this, I'm praying. And the Lord says, well, uh, you know, I, I feel like the Lord's saying, well, what did uh, Tuscaloosa do in 2011 after the tornado? And I thought, hmm, we will rebuild. It will be better. And as far as I know, there wasn't a lot of turning to God. Now, there were some people that accused God that this, is, you know, here, God did this and all that. But, you know, <laughs> there's something, you know, something wasn't, there was some lack of protection in some way or another for that to be able to get through. And, of course, we've set our heart. not, And we're not defined. I'm not saying that this church is defined in any way. I'm talking about the overall atmosphere of this county. And so, uh, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. we got to be careful that their attitudes and what they are and how they and and the, just don't permeate us and i just was just quickened again to just say you know i got to guard against this cuz it's real easy to fall into uh uh this thing that doesn't actually glorify god i know it's just roasting in here <laughs> hallelujah praise god um so um <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Even the cold are hot. <laughs> there's no air. It's not so hot as there's just nothing to breathe. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, so we need to be getting in the presence of someone that God is resting upon. And when people, when God is resting upon a person, it should create a hunger in us. And if it's not, um, you know, and that can happen uh, by watching even something on YouTube, but we went to see David Hogan because we wanted whatever's on him to get on us. And uh, we've been to see other people down through the years. Uh, hallelujah. Another, one thing we need not to do when it comes to people who are, that, ha that obviously have the presence of God on them is not to look at people's imperfections. It, it, we get, so sometimes instead of getting what people have, we look at their imperfections. 
or their their weaknesses. Um, I know that happens to me. Uh, if a minister's ministering, and uh, and maybe he's just flowing with God, and he's just man, he's just calling out gifts, and he's just doing all this, and then he says, "Well, you know, I watched." Uh, certain certain show the other night it's just like that'll just shut me down it's like what in god's green earth is a man of god or a christian doing watching that that show and you know it might even happen to you where we're concerned because we might watch something that you think is just well i just i know because sometimes we get to thinking one thing is sometimes people do have weaknesses they do have faults they are watching things that they shouldn't and god hasn't dealt with them but you know on the other hand sometimes um Sometimes it's just that uh, we can be like, well, you're a man of God. You should never even, do you even, you shouldn't even turn your TV on. You don't even, you shouldn't have a TV. And you should be fasting and praying and laying in the floor and pounding the floor all the time. And we think that about ministers. Don't look at me like that because I know we do. (laughs) And, you know, and so we tend to be so critical sometimes that we cannot receive uh, the spirit that's upon them and the, uh, you know, good thing, the the good things that are happening through them. And we don't need to be that way. We need to uh, let God take care of all those little details and not let their weakness, their fact that they're human, sabotage us from receiving what is on them, what is in them. We don't need to be focused on flaws. Hallelujah. You know, men of God and women of God, their failures always become loud, clear, and public when they, if they have a fall. You know that. <clears throat> when, when, and this has happened to, to the old timers. We have a lot of men and women of God who had tremendous miracle ministries and then they fell to a flaw, and it's like, well, I'm throwing all those books out. That, you know, I wouldn't listen to anything by William Brannan while he had a fall. Well, let me say, first of all, that a lot of the things that people say about him today, they aren't even true. There's an enemy out there that has cooked up a bunch of lives, and they're published all the time on the Internet and everything. But, it, but you know, people get when people get exhausted they get tired sometimes they do crazy weird things and we don't need to bill johnson always teaches that we honor those people for what they did for god and doesn't matter how it ended for them but we but our goal is for to, to end well say i want to end well i want to end well amen in other words uh that is the goal. And obviously, we're proud of the men and women of God who ended well. But there's a lot that had tremendous miracle gifts. I know that there was a guy during the 40s that, uh, well, actually, or later than that, 60s, 70s. I think his first name was Lonnie. I can't remember his uh, last name, but it doesn't matter. But anyway, he was like, he had a tremendous miracle ministry, just scary miracles out there so far and somehow he got over in homosexuality and he didn't end well he did not end well but hallelujah praise God for what he did do 
And that's how the attitude that we're to have. Praise God for the gift that was in William Brannan and Jack Coe. And you've heard stories about, oh, I don't know who all they are, but I really don't. I put it aside. I read seven books, Pastor did too, about William Brannan that would make you want to circle the earth three times and then jump up and down. I mean, because the miracles in his life. And he was such an humble man. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Only God knows how it really ended because I don't think we know. Uh, <clears throat> so finish well. And finishing well boils down to character. Gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. And the maturity you gain in God will be expensive. And uh, God's been proven character. One of the things he's been doing in Tuscaloosa County is uh, proving character. Another thing he brought us, uh, he, uh, Bill Johnson says he brought Gideon's army. He brought them down. He brought them down. You know, get, go, go, go. He brought them to the point of strength. Because a lot of people doesn't usually mean strength. It means weakness, lots of weakness, weak character, lots of stuff. And so God brought us to a point of strength until we can. And now that we're at this place and we're here and now it's time for the river to flow. The time is now. I will tell you the time and now. Uh, both get, We need to have both gifts and fruit. And this is in our personal lives. It's not enough just to be, oh, yeah, I get words of knowledge. That's not enough. Where's your fruit? Where's the love, the joy, the peace? Hallelujah. And we all have to work at fruit. Gifts are free, but you work at fruit, don't you? You got to repent. Hallelujah. And it's not a, it's not a, oh, yeah, every once in a while I have to repent. Something's wrong with you. I tell you what, you're just not noticing. If you're not uh, saying that's not good fruit every day and I need to change something about that, that attitude, that's that, that way I'm handling that. Hallelujah. We need both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The, we need character as great as the power we carry. How, hallelujah. That's what gets ministers in trouble. The, if the character is not as great as the power, it will get you and, uh, and ministers in trouble. Hallelujah. Um, the ministers that I know that have gone out and done something crazy like commit adultery or find their soulmate, which makes you want to barf when somebody says, I found my soulmate. Hallelujah. That's just the problem. It was your soul. It wasn't your spirit. Hallelujah. That's the biggest problem right there. Uh, anyway, uh, usually the thing that's happened is they've gotten too busy to be with God. Every time I've ever seen it, it's like they're just, they're just, man, they're just churching, 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 and got to be here, and got to go to this committee, and got to. They're not doing what, uh, what's her name, Miss Heidi said, low and slow, low and slow. To you know, so that's our goals: is stay humble, go low and slow. Hallelujah! Spend time with God. Boy, it's hard to go out and commit adultery when you spent time with God that morning. It's really hard to spend time with God one morning and then go to music practice that night and say, oh, my soulmate was there. <laughs> it just won't happen. It just won't happen. It happens when we're away from God, when we're not. And then, you know, you're away from God. You hadn't prayed in two weeks and, you know, all that. And then some ugly, doesn't even have to be cute, 
I mean, if you are, if you're, if you are, lots of people are just needy, needy. Oh, just make, oh, I'm so needy. You know, I do. (laughs) But it's like, it's like, then they'll go have an affair with somebody ugly as an old mud fence. And it's like, I can't even believe you can do that. Hallelujah. Because you hadn't been with God. You've been too busy. Christians that, you know, you can't, praise God. Praise God. And be where you're supposed to be. Be in church. Be where you're supposed to be. David got in trouble when he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Isn't that right? Wasn't where he, says at the time when kings go out to war, he's laying on the rooftop looking over at the, eating grapes and looking at somebody taking a bath. Hallelujah. Y'all be where you're supposed to be. Don't be where you're not supposed to be. And shall I, can I say this? When we went in the ministry, some older pastors than us told us, now there's three rules for ministry. Pastor, never be alone with a woman that's not your wife. Never be alone with a woman that's not your wife. Never be alone with a woman that's not your wife. That's the three rules of ministry. Hallelujah. And it's good. Don't ever be, women, don't be alone with a man that's not your husband. Hallelujah. I don't care if he's your bodyguard. Hallelujah. Well, you know. Uh, okay, we're going to quit. So, uh, praise God. Anybody need prayer tonight? Anybody say, I got to have prayer. I can't go home. I can't wait till Sunday. Is there anything else? Oh, yeah, Pastor. I'm sorry. Is there anything else we're supposed to do? Yeah, there's something we're supposed to do.